Of course, one of the big stories this week had to be the debt ceiling and the machinations and the drama. But finally, they got an agreement. I think it's the 79th time they've had a debt ceiling issue since 1960. Made me feel a little bit about been there, done that. But uh, I don't think, well, I don't know. It seemed to me no one's surprised they actually reached an agreement. And I wanted to chat with Martin Straith about uh, the trendletter.com, by the way. The trendletter.com, of course, follows all of this. And I've got other things. I want to get to gold with him. I want to get to oil with him. And this incredible rotation within the market itself. But Martin, first of all, appreciate you being with us. But let me start with uh, the debt ceiling. Were, were you a big yawn all the way into it? Were you one of the people saying, you know what, I'll, I'll certainly follow the market's reaction to it, but, you know, they're going to get an agreement. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, it was a bit ridiculous. I mean, the drama, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're watching CNN and and the drama and, and, and we all know what was going to happen. Just as you say, you know, what is it, 79, 78, 79th time in 63 years. I mean, that average is more than once a year. So yeah, that was a joke. But I think the thing to me, you know, when we keep talking debt, you know, like here they they just keep raising raising the ceiling, raising debt, adding more. You know, here's I just got some charts here I was looking at from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So the Canadian federal debt is 1.22 trillion dollars, and that means that each taxpayer's share of that debt is 35,245 dollars. The debt is growing in Canada at a rate of 145 million per day and 6 million per hour. So, and so while those numbers are staggering, if we look at the US, it just blows your brains out because they have a national debt of $31.8 trillion. And that works out to 95,000 per person in the US. So that's man, woman, child, 95,000. And if you happen to be a taxpayer in the U.S., your share of that debt is 248000 But then if we look at the unfounded liabilities in the U.S., so that's Medicare, you know, uh, Social Security. Well, they've had, they have unfunded liabilities totaling $188 trillion. And that works out to, get this, 560000 per person. Now, if you're a, a taxpayer in the U.S., your share of those unfunded liabilities is 1.46 million. And if you add in that, you know, their share of the debt, you're looking at you know, another 248,000. So their share is $1.7 million of the debt. And so last quarter, the U.S. spent $213 billion just servicing their debt. So that equates to 852 billion a year to service the debt. And so, you know, about a year ago, it was about 10 months ago, just as the Fed was starting to raise rates, the U.S. Congressional Budget Office, they issued a report. And so it's like 10 months old now. And again, it was before all the rates started going up. But they, at that point, said that the U.S. is going to add another $20 trillion of debt over the next 10 years. You know, the numbers come out as fast and furious, but there's a message there. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Canada's debt, especially in the first quarter, what's got to be redeemed this year or going to mature this year, rather, in the shocking stat. But the point is this, is that it gives you the hint why money is going to be worth less 
you know, well, it is already worth less, meaning we don't buy as much with our dollars. And that's, I think the inflation discussion is a little bit off. It's just simply a, dis, uh, a decline in the purchasing power. But it just tells you it's inevitable. Like there's only one way you're going to deal with it. They're never paying it off. So they'll, they'll uh, you know, have to service, as you just said. And it's going to be with dollars that are increasingly worth less, that the Federal Reserve in that case are just printing up or creating, you know, electronically. And that to me is, I'm just saying, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's the underpinning of what I see as a monetary crisis we're already in. And whether we discuss it in the right way, but that's the only way out. I mean, the numbers are too overwhelming. They're never paying it off. It's hopeless. So what do they do? I think they'll create the money. Well, I, I agree. And I, I think there's another way out too that, that and we've been warning our, our subscribers for the last couple of years is I think we're going to see just a global sovereign debt crisis where mm -hmm. oh, I you know, agree. Pe people are just going to lose confidence in the governments and not buy those bonds anymore. You know, I mean, I know you know, Mike, but I mean, public debt, you know, so government bonds versus private debt, so corporate bonds. I mean, when a company defaults, their assets are sold off and bondholders get some money back. But when a, a government defaults, there's, there's no assets to sell. I mean, they don't have anything. So bondholders basically get held, you know, they have nothing left. And then you get this whole contagion thing. So once one country defaults, then panic, you know, kicks in. Remember, I mean, clearly back in what, 2012, I think it was, when Greece almost defaulted and then Portuguese bonds started going crazy and then Italian because, you know, investors in these other countries, they sort of look around and they go, well, well, what about us? Are our bonds safe? And then they sell their bonds and then it's kind of like a global run on the bank. And then okay. governments, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, that's been my worry. Uh, you know, in confidence, I'm always talking confidence, Martin, you know, because the system is based on confidence. And I hear now a little talk about reduction in trust. This is the big picture. You lose confidence in your currency as over, I can count about 140 nations right now where the paper's not worth very much and it's worth a lot less than it was two and three years ago, alluding to what you've just said. And that's why I think the big challenge for individuals is how do you protect your wealth? How do you protect the store of wealth? Because, uh, you know, I think the cards are dealt. And, I, and again, we've already had the debt crisis in Argentina this year, in Ecuador this year, in Turkey. You know, the list goes on. It's, it's, it's there. You don't have to go very far to find out. And again, I think they've tried to handle the, in quotes, the default thing. I think Christine Lagarde, who was, uh, or who is uh, head of the European Central Bank, said it beautifully. She said, we can't default. We're just going to print up the money. So that's the old Milton Friedman said this years ago. He says, are we going to get our pensions, as you just said, about unfunded liabilities? And the answer was, yes, you're going to get your pension. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, you'll be able to buy a cup of coffee with it. I'm, exactly. I'm still, and, and we'll see how it plays out, but I'm in the camp. But what you're saying and, and I'm saying is, yeah, there's danger here beyond what the normal conversation is. And, and that brings me to a couple of other things here. You know, um, and one is the role of gold in all of this. I mean, again, if I'm looking to pr protect my purchasing power, I mean, people will tell me about Bitcoin. They'll tell me about gold. Um, you know, I think oil's definitely energy's in there for sure, you know, but that seems to be one of the challenges facing us. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, and just to, just to finish up on that debt thing, I mean, the one thing that we've been warning our subscribers for the last couple of years is get out of long-term government yeah. bonds. You know, short, <laughs> short term's fine. You know, you can get five, five and a half percent uh, on short-term bonds, but, you know, right now, um, you just don't want to be holding long-term government bonds because, you know, they say that they'll never default, but, 
you know, I'm pretty skeptical on that one. I mean, uh, you know, you go back to this after the Second World War, you know, pretty much all European bonds got, they were defaulted. Yes, so, they were. Yeah. So I, I, I think I, the people, sorry, I was, uh, uh, let me just interject. I think the key is um, there is going to be consequences and then people can debate what they are. And, I, I, you know, I'll still go back to whether they officially default or not. It's what are they going to pay you back in? You know, dollars that right. can buy nothing or no dollars. You know what I mean? Like, I, I got a feeling that's a, a, a distinction without a difference, you know, in the end for the individual. Their own personal finances will have been uh, decimated. And that's why I'm always on about that. Uh, the other thing you're saying about the bond market, which that's been a major recommendation of ours, you know, uh, since 2020 in August through October, lock in your rates now. The party's over. And yeah, you could have skimmed a little and don't go long. And anyway, long, my definition of long, by the way, was three years. And I thought maybe I was getting a little risky at that. You know, so I think the message has got to be that. And it's because it's a sovereign debt crisis, as you said. A lot of uncertainty that's created around that. Right. And then, so back to gold, like you say. So gold is, you know, it's a store of wealth. It's certainly, to me, everybody should be having some gold. And then, you, you know, as investors, you know, you want to pick the right spots to keep adding to it. And so, you know, if we're sitting here right today, um, you know, gold just in uh, April hit, you know, 2070. So that was the new high. And then it retested that in May, but it couldn't break through. And so since that double bottom, you know, and we've been calling and looking for gold to pull back to about the 1960 level. And that's pretty much exactly what it's just done. And now it's been, so it's been pulling back in a series of, you know, lower highs and lower lows. And, and so this, this is a nice little correction we're having here. So last week it tested, you know, that that's uptrend line. So from November till now, is there's a nice uptrend line and it, it actually hits at another good support level. So 1960 is a really kind of key support level. Now gold tested that uh, just last week, um, but it, you know, it held and gold has a nice little bounce just up under 2000. And now it's pulled back on Friday. So it's dropped about another 27 bucks. So it's right back into that sort of, mid 1960 range so again uh, as investors we want to really watch that support level um, if it if it breaks i i can see goldman dropping down to maybe the 1900 level and then if that doesn't hold because there's quite a gap you know we had a big run up in uh in march there so if that doesn't hold we have a double bottom of support at the 1825 level and that should be a really solid bottom and if we do get down to that, that would be a great buying opportunity. And in fact, you know, um, we really like how gold's been trading. Um, so we're really, you know, uh, we issue the trend letter every Sunday. I've got a couple new buy stops that'll be going in there for gold. So big picture, I think just as we were talking, you know, uh, you know, as people keep increasingly lose confidence in how governments are managing the economy, they're, they're catching on. Like I say, you know, people keep talking inflation's, you know, 4%. Well, it's way more than 4%. And if your purchasing power keeps dwindling down, um, you're going to look for alternatives. And I think gold's going to be one of those places that's, you know, it's kind of like buying fire insurance for your house. You know, you hope you don't need it. But, you know, if you do, it's, it's pretty important to have it. Yeah. And as you say, the evidence is building. You'd probably be happy to have some protection against the declining purchasing power of the paper currency, as you would have been for the last several years, you know, uh, and I think that is the the mega trend going on at this point. Uh, I let me just jump back to the stock market for a second with you. That uh, 
you know, uh, I'm always saying this, but, you know, talk about the classic climbing the wall of worry. You know, I mean, there's an, but it, maybe that's the exit out of bonds, or maybe that's people saying I've got more faith in the private than the public sector. Who knows? But, uh, you know, and you've had that concentration, of course, in whatever it is, eight or nine stocks have been the, the dominant force. But where, where, what's your just general take? It looks like there's some catch up. I mean, look at Friday's numbers, you know, 700 points, you know, uh, in the Dow, yeah. On the Dow. Yeah, well, you know, it's to me, you know, the 2023 so far, it's, it's been the great rotation. You know, it's an, an exact inverse of 2022. You know, 2022, you know, the stocks, the the weakest stocks, you know, the NASDAQ or technology and the growth stocks, well, they've been the strongest performers so far. And conversely, you got the, you know, the, the ones that did really well last year, you know, so energy value stocks, you know, equal weighted indexes, they've been the weakest. And so the key here to me is what, what's really got had my attention, and I, I know it's getting more publicity now, is, you know, markets are strongest when you got wide breadth, and they're the weakest when you have narrow breadth. And that the, the market recently has been driven by this AI frenzy, as you say, those very few big tech stocks. You know, market breadth had never been this narrow before. So, so you've got those eight, eight to 10, you know, big tech stocks. And if they weren't in the S&P 500, the S&P 500 would have been negative. So it's a very narrow, very weak market rally. But again, this week, you know, if you look at a heat map this week, you know, if you looked at it last week or two weeks ago, it was all red except for those, you know, those, those yeah. very few big, um, big tech stocks. You know, I'm looking at one right now and it's solid green. So this week, you know, like you say, the rest of the market, is sort of kind of jumping in here and joining the, the rally. So we really have to watch where that goes because if you go back to December, out of the, you know, the S&P 500, 463 of those stocks were trading above their 50-day moving average. You know, uh, just the other day, I, I checked it against, only 173 of those stocks were trading above. And that number has declined consistently at the same time, the S&P 500 has been rising. So again, that, that's really showing how narrow this rally's been. And if you look at sentiment, you know, you've got the, the, the fear and greed index is showing very high. You've got uh, the put call ratio. I mean, it's at the lowest level it's been since, uh, since February, which happened to coincide with the market top then. So, so to me, you know, we're kind of at a point here where, you know, if, if we don't see, so the S&P 500, you know, it was trading in a narrow range between, you know, 4050 and 4200. Um, so we have been calling it to have to get through that 4200. It tried three times, but it did break through that last week. And now, so 4300 becomes the new ceiling there. So it's uh, on Friday, it got right up to that. So that's going to be a real, key, a real key for us because if it can break through 4300, then, you know, then off we could go. And then I would think that a lot of these other stocks, you know, other than the tech mm -hmm. stocks would join in. But right now, that 4,300 on our models looks like a very strong resistance. So I'm going to be really curious, really watching that level over the next week or so. Because if it doesn't hold and it breaks back down, uh, I think we could start to see, you know, you know, 4,200 now becomes the, the, the new floor. And so if that were to break, I think we could head, you know, head for the, a bit of a correction real soon. The markets are getting really over, overbought here. 
You, you talked about, I, I don't want to let you go without talking about the uh, part of that rotation, you know, that you're talking about. So oil was the biggest performer, oil stocks, the best performer a year ago or, or through 222. And now they've been the weakest or close to it, you know, for 223. Any exactly. take on any take on that? Does that does that just let me ask you, does that tell you, hey, this is a good buying opportunity or sit in the sidelines or, you know? Yeah, well, so we've we've been We've been, you know, we've been telling subscribers for the last, you know, like so oil was in a deep downtrend from somewhere about what June of last year, and then it kind of leveled off late December, and it's been trading sideways for the last, you know, since since that mm -hmm. period. So we've been trading, you know, in a range between, uh, you know, about sixty-five dollars up to about eighty-three dollars. So all through that period from December on, our models were kept thinking we're going to hit a lower level than the current, the level at that time was in the $70 range. And then we did hit. So in March, mid-March, we hit about $65. And yeah, we had a buy signal then. So we triggered, uh, I think we sent out about five, six or seven uh, buy signals. But here's the thing. So we're still very bullish long-term for oil. Um, that was a great buying opportunity, I think. But, it, you know, short-term, I'm seeing that, you know, we're still, we're still sitting in that 65 to 83. Mm -hmm. um, so my big concern here, Mike, is, you know, I know that a lot of the talking heads, you know, recessions becoming a back burner item. You know, to me, the recessions, are, it's real. You know, we've got some really solid indicators that have forecast recessions so accurately for so many years. Yes. So I think we're going to have a recession. And if we do, then that's going to hit demand for oil and that's going to hit oil prices. So short term, we need to be careful because if you look at the average recession, they, 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 you know, the yield curve gets inverted. The, all these triggers happen about six to 18 months ahead of time. Well, we're 12, we've been inverted. The yield curve has been inverted for 12 months now. So we're right in the middle of that normal range. That tells me that if we're going to have a recession, it will be this year. Yeah. So that's in the back. You know, we keep reminding our subscribers that's in the back of our mind. So for oil, um, I think we were going to have another really good buying opportunity. And then longer term, I mean, we're extremely bullish on oil because, you know, on the demand side, you've got China and India. And now, I mean, we're talking those two countries represent 36% of the world's population. And they're both growing, especially India. And then you got on the supply side, you know, you've got this lack of investment, you know, capital expenditures in the oil sector, you know, they're at 35, 40 year lows. And the reason for that is because governments, you know, windfall taxes, increased regulations, no new permitting. So these oil companies haven't been spending on exploration. They've been, you know, they've been doing buybacks and giving out dividends. So that combination to me is going to create a massive supply problem in the next few years. So we expect to see $100 oil for sure, very likely 150. And I, I really think we'll see 200 in the next few years. Well, that's a that's a great thing to finish on and tell people about the trend letter, trendletter.com. And uh, Martin, we sort of tricked your people and said uh, you were coming on and could we get a special offer? So I want to let people know to take advantage of that, the trendletter.com and get the details. We'll put it out on social media also. But in the meantime, you know, we appreciate you finding time for us. Thanks very much. My pleasure, Mike. And, and also just on those special offers, um, any of your, you know, your listeners subscribe, $100 of all subscriptions from this 
would go to the Special Olympics. And, and just so you know, that is so much appreciated. You've also supported us in many other ways, but on this particular, uh, many thanks for that too. Have a, have a great week. You too, guys. Take care.